0: I hear there's an election coming up on Tuesday. Is that right? You guys sick of all the campaigns, slogans, and the mailings, and the commercials, and phone calls. So who are you voting for? <laughs> who are you going to vote for? Kind of a sensitive topic, isn't it, here in the church? What are some of the feelings you have when I say Obama or McCain, or Biden, or how about NAACP, focus on the family, the Christian coalition, the right to life, have some strong opinions, I'm sure, representing this room, we have some strong opinions on each side of the issue, we could continue talking about different issues, and some pro-choice uh, Tammy Baldwin different politicians different things some strong opinions in this room the question of the week we're going through a series of questions and the question is why are Christians so intolerant that be you may not even agree with the, how the questions pose you may say well how are Christians intolerant or maybe you don't even agree that Christians are intolerant or if they are maybe it's not you to how everybody else. Why are, is everybody else intolerant? I'm not intolerant. Why is everybody else intolerant? Well, two days from a major election. Uh, there was a survey done uh, asking non-Christians, those who've chosen not to follow Jesus yet, across the country, what are your rate Eleven groups of people from least favorable to most favorable. So, uh, one would be the most favorable group of people, and eleven would be the least favorable. Where do you think evangelicals ranked? We were tenth, just a one percentage point above prostitutes. We, let me tell you, we're in an evangelical church, so for us, I w- make the case that's a problem, that's an issue. I hope you're in agreement that that's an issue. Whether, you know, whether it's right or not, it's, it's a perception that people have of evangelicals. Some of that may be they don't really understand what the term means, but why? Why are we viewed as such an intolerant group of people? It's a problem. And just a couple days away from the election, you know, some of that's going to come out. I remember uh, through this whole campaign season, saw a newspaper article on the front page there was a picture and the picture represented two people nose to nose, you've probably seen an image like this on one side was somebody peacefully making their case, why they should be allowed to have marriage with their partner in the other case the other person was pretty angry and you could just see kind of foaming at the mouth, you've seen those images and the man's holding the poster and it says G-A-Y gay but it was an acronym it said God abhors you I don't know if that person was a Christian or not but they're speaking for us they're representing all of us in this room I hope your heart breaks when you hear that one of the issues just one there's many issues that we could talk about today and just just as a heads up you've probably figured it out already it's kind of a sensitive subject it's a sensitive subject And there's been some discussion following each of the prior services. And there may be some things that you don't agree that I'm going to present to you. You may hear some things today that you feel like, yeah, preach it. He's going to come down on our side of of an issue. And just, just like to give you some ground rules today. I'm not speaking about God's absolute truth today, that's a different sermon, different topic. I'm not talking about sin. I believe in sin. I definitely believe in sin. And Door Creek doesn't make light of sin. That's not the message today. The message is how are we perceived by others outside the church? It's not good. Again, 10 out of 11. Another ground rule is I, I really believe Jesus is the only way. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So there is one way to the Father. Is not what I'm talking about today? One of the issues that we could spend a lot of time talking about and really needs its own week This issue of intolerance, because it's a really clear picture of how the church can be intolerant. This issue of homosexuality. I grew up in a church never mentioned it, never talked about it. It's important that we we discuss this issue. We talk about it. We're living in a in what Girlfriend Magazine ranks as the second gayest city, right? I don't subscribe to Girlfriend Magazine. That's what they tell me. Madison's a very gay city. We have the second largest number of gay and lesbian political leaders than any other city per capita in the country. Tammy Baldwin. Some of you, I'm sure, have voted for her sitting in this room. It's a big issue in in Madison. But you know what? There was an article written not that long ago. The article said, how gay is Madison? How gay is Madison? And the author went through and presented different sides of the issue, but in the end said it's really irrelevant it was the authors. It's really irrelevant. We've moved on. Madison's moved on from this issue. The rest of the country's still wrestling through some of these things, but from a political, from a moral perspective, the city of Madison's looking at this issue, saying it's it's irrelevant. You know, we've accepted some things, we've endorsed some things, and we're still okay. Why are Christians viewed as so intolerant? It's just me talking about it. Some of you are like, "Is he going to say it's wrong?" You're gonna come down and say, "Oh, yeah, God's really clear." I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how are we perceived. Ellen Degeneres. Oh, how can you even mention her? She's a really funny person. I, I-, I loved uh, Finding Nemo. Great. She was she was funny. How can you say that as a Christian? She's a person. God's created her. She has value. There's a lot of great people in our society who have come out as outspoken gays and lesbians. And God makes it very clear in Scripture on one side of this issue, but um, let, me, let, me, uh, let me share with you a story. I got a call from a student a few years ago, two years ago, former student who was in my youth group, a leader in our youth group. I, I had him speak. I, he was faithful every week. He was a solid kid, great, great young man desiring to honor God with his life. He calls me up, and this is in another city. And his name's Brian. Brian says, hey, how you doing? We caught up a little bit. He's like, I need to talk to you. I've never told you this, but all through high school, I've been struggling with this issue of homosexuality. I've been Struggling with that. I, and I feel like my orientation is I'm attracted to guys. What do I do with that? And I um, prayed with him on the phone. I just really thought he needs, he needs some, somebody to kind of love on him. We got on the plane the next day and flew to kansas city and we spent two days together reading over scripture and praying together continue to pray for brian I just talked to him yesterday he's still still struggling but he's honoring god with his life he is not acting on he's not his behavior is not such that isn't pleasing to god his orientation is why do we think that's one of the worst sins as christians are like that's the worst sin ever it's like on our top two or three lists and it's not on God's is it on yours nowhere in scripture do we get that All sins are equal in fact in, hetero, in heterosexuality there's a lot of there's a lot of heterosexual activity that's wrong God does not commend so why do we set that in a league of its own Brian's mom called me uh, right before I left for Kansas City to go down there and she said I'm sure you know Brian told me to talk to you and guess what um, we've chosen to kick Brian out of the house not gonna, we're not going to allow that type of lifestyle living in our house. They sent him to a conference, two-day conference. Oh, if you go to this conference, you're going to come back. Everything's going to be good. You're not gonna, and, and he told me some of the things that they did at the conference. It's, it's kind of sad. It'd be like going to a conference on pride. We all wrestle with pride, right? And you come back from this conference two days later, and never again you're not going to have this issue of pride anymore. We're, 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 there are some other things, you know. You, the church came down on them really hard and asked him to step out, stop attending. My heart breaks. Some man, a young man, saying, "I want to honor God. I know what God has to say on it. Can you help me?" And yet, the Christian community sometimes is just really intolerant. Our goal today is not an open mind. I don't believe an open mind really. really leads us to any conclusion. Our goal today is truth and grace. Because there's a watching world. So my question is, yeah, why are Christians tolerant? My follow up question is how can we create a thirst in Madison for what we have, the relationship that we have? How can we create a thirst in Madison, the people that we rub shoulders with, to get what we have, not to turn our backs, not to turn their backs on us. Say, Oh, those Christians, those evangelicals they shake their head at us. How do we? How do we do the opposite? How do we create a thirst? Ever been really thirsty? You know, on a hike, eating a bunch of just craving liquids, some water, cold. How do we create that thirst in Madison for the relationship that we have? Well, there's an. As we head into this, I gave you some ground rules. Um, on this issue, politics. Before we turn to our scripture passage today, can I just ask you a question? Do your coworkers and neighbors know more about where you stand politically than where you stand in your relationship with God? Is that okay if they do? If we have a yard sign? I'm not saying yard signs are bad. I'm just saying, is that okay? If our neighbors are looking at us, if Madison's looking at us, oh, I know, I know what they stand for. Should that be what our call is? Should that be the number one thing that they think of us? It's not an easy topic. Madison's a very political, correct area, right? PC. Our goal today is not to be PC. It's to be BC. When we're a church that would like to be biblically correct and accurate. What does God have to say on this issue, so we're going, to, we're going to turn. and We're going to we're going to look at this. So, did I share with you our our ground rules today? Did I share that? I did. Okay. After you doing a few services, sometimes you remember what, forget what you said and what you didn't say. Just so want to make sure. I want to make sure. I'm not talking about. Uh, this is a sin issue today. That's not the goal of this message. The goal of the message is for us to re- look at us, consider what are we doing. Why are we known as? group of intolerant people, hateful people. Scripture passage is on uh, Colossians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 4. It's on page 835. If you're going to use the the Bibles there in your chairs. 835. A little background. Paul is writing in jail. Sitting in prison. Prison cells, cold, damp, moisture dripping down on them maybe. Kind of dark. And he's writing. That's where he's at. Uh, So let me just say Sometimes our message has consequences. Sometimes our message does have consequences when it's a message of Christ. For Paul, it was in jail. He was thrown into jail. So the consequences of his message. He's writing to a group of people who feel like they are a minority living in a hostile environment. Can you relate to that? I feel like we're a minority living in a kind of a hostile environment. That was the church in Colossae. Paul is this guy, uh, shortly after Jesus leaves, he starts starts, uh, house churches, creating house churches. That's who Paul is. So he's writing a letter to one of the house churches, which is now in modern-day Turkey, Colossae. He's writing to these group of people. This group of people did not feel resentment that they were being marginalized by the society. They had compassion on those who did not... Believe in Christ. They had compassion. They wanted to fling wide the gates for those who did not know who Jesus was. I think that's where the illustration ends between them and us. Sometimes we feel resentment that we don't have more power, that we we're being marginalized. Well this wish they would give us more of a voice, wish they could give us more power and influence. And and that that wasn't what the Colossian church was doing here. So Paul sits down and he writes them, we're gonna look at verse is two right here through six. Verse 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. First thing you need to do, you want to influence somebody? You want to create a thirst in them? Start praying get your knees on a daily basis when you wake up in the morning. God, I pray for opportunities today that can influence another person. He says, be watchful, full of looking, full of watching. Look, that's really a key point. I don't want to rush over this because sometimes it's the church does the opposite. Turn away. I'm going to turn my back. I don't want to associate with that person. They're unclean. If I touch them, I'll be unclean. It's not biblical. I'm going to, oh, I don't even want to get into that dialogue. I'm going to go away. I'm going to go to my basement. I'm going to hide out. I'm going to get out of it. Paul says, no, look for opportunities. Pray and look for opportunities. In Verse 3 he says, and pray for us. Two, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I, Paul says, for which I am in chains. He says pray for us, not for personal gain. He doesn't say pray for me that I'll get out of jail. Hey, Pray for me that we could influence society in such a way that we have political reign. Uh, Pray for me that maybe you could sign a petition on my behalf to get me out of jail. There's no personal gain, there's no financial gain the prayer that he gives here. Paul says pray. What does he pray for? An open door. Even sitting in jail, he, he knows that he has an opportunity to influence the people in the prison. Look for opportunities. Now, For Paul, uh, that open, when he speaks of this, the, the door is open for him to go into prison oftentimes when he speaks clearly Christ. But he says this, We may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. What's he speaking of? What is his message? Look at verse 4. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Clearly. The watching world, looking at Christians, we don't have a very clear message. The message gets lost in all this other stuff. Is that really what we're about? I think people say, well, So what are you saying? What? I'm looking at the church. Well, what's your message? this passage is saying remove every stumbling block for a person on the road to Christ. Remove it. If they have not yet met Christ, that is the most (laughs) significant message, is Christ. The most significant message for someone who has not come to Christ is the cross. You can't remove that stumbling block. We have to leave that one there. But all the others, remove it. That's hard. It's hard for us to say that because there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of moral issues. There's a lot of issues that, that we want to be right on. We want to make our case. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make the case. Paul doesn't. Paul says, may my message of Christ be clear. So what are some of those issues? Let me, let me, if you let me go a little bit further, the issue of abortion may be a stumbling block for someone coming to Christ. Lay it aside. Iraq war, war on terror, taxes, benefits for gay partners. If it's an issue, if it's a stumbling block for someone coming to Christ, lay it aside. I know, that's hard to hear. But for someone who has not come to Christ yet, the most important thing for them is the cross. May that be our message. May the message of Door Creek Church in Madison be the love of Christ and the cross. Nothing else. Now, let me take a, just take a minute. Some of you are saying, well, no, 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 God really speaks on some of these issues. He does. And there's other weeks that we should be talking about some of these moral issues. I would, I would agree with that. We need, we, need a, we need to have an opinion on some of these. You need to work through them. If you really feel like you're right on an issue, you really feel convicted that God's led you to the right answer, I'd say, great, good. I'm sure it didn't happen overnight. I'm sure it took time. I'm sure it took the Holy Spirit's work in your life and conviction inside you. Can you grant that to another person just as well? Sometimes we think we have to be the Holy Spirit for somebody else. I'm going to be your Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you what to think. I'm going to tell you how to. Personal confrontation, in my opinion, has never worked. I've never seen a changed heart come from legislation. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone can give me some data. If you have it, I'm sure you'll let me know. I've never seen a changed start come from legislation. You're saying that two days before any election. How can you say that? Well, it's true. I remember in high school, I was part of a, a group of people holding up a sign, picketing one side of an issue. And there was something in me I just felt like I don't think this is really effective. You know, those who agreed with me would honk their horn those that didn't would give me another symbol another sign as they drove by I thought what's our goal here what? is anybody else with me on is it, how's that really working now hear me There's a, we, need, we need to speak truth with grace it's like the man in that photo nose to nose I don't see that picture of Christ where'd we go wrong Where did we go wrong? He says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So there's this issue of wisdom and discernment. When to speak, what to say, how to say it. May it be said in grace and love. What happened Friday night? What what was Friday night? Halloween, Halloween. okay, thanks. If I had an extra hour of sleep, it should be a little quicker than that. Halloween. I am confident there are two sides of Halloween in this room. And there are two groups of people that can really defend why we should not participate in Halloween. Because it's evil. Because of the roots of it. It's satanic. I'm sure you really feel strongly, And there are some others that are like, what's the big deal? It's just kids having fun. Within this group of people, I'm sure there are both sides of the issue. Let me say to you, is there a way without compromising your convictions where you feel like God has really led you? Is there a way without compromising what you believe on an issue to make the most of an opportunity like Halloween? I can't think of another time during the year where your neighbors are outside on your sidewalk, people are talking, and there are some who hide in their basement and turn the light off. And I'm I'm saying you don't need to compromise your convictions on the issue. Is there a way you can have a conversation with your neighbors? I had some conversations and I had nothing to do with Halloween. It was just getting to, getting to know them. I don't see them enough. I don't talk to me enough. And I want to, for us who hide in our basement, I, how effective is that? in reaching your neighbors? How's that working for you? I'm not trying not to be personal or make an attack here. I'm just saying, "That's not what Jesus did. He didn't hide in his basement. He was out. Didn't compromise who he was. Sometimes, sometimes, in an effort to be relevant, we compromise our character. That's not where we want to go either. We just become worthless. Like, well, I'm just going to be like them. No, that's not what Jesus is saying either. But he's saying, don't don't go hide in your basement. Paul says, be wise toward outsiders, toward those who don't know what the church is about. What's this message? I don't know. Really understand? Are you more political, or where you? I don't get it. Say, so let our message be really clear. I can argue one side of a lot of issues. And so this is, there was a learning process for me this week. I mean, just I'm going to be honest with you. It's a learning process for me. I don't want anything else to get in the way of the cross. For someone who hasn't been there, nothing else. I want. The cross to be the cross. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. All right? Let's continue on. Sometimes as a church, looking at this, this verse here, verse 5, sometimes as a church we do one of two things without really thinking critically on an issue. We embrace it wholeheartedly. Something comes along, a book, a movie, something. we're going to raise that flag of that author, we're going to raise the flag of that movie. Oh, this is great. We em- just wholeheartedly embrace it. And then a little bit later, we realize, ooh, that didn't have a lot of value, and ooh, probably shouldn't have done that. We look kind of foolish. Now, the other thing we can do is we can burn something really quick, too. Something comes along, like, oh, that's evil, that's awful, and stay away from that, unclean, I I don't want that. And uh, let's just be careful. Let's think through some things, critically. Think through them. There may be some value there, some of these issues. Uh, continue to grow in some of those issues as well. Uh, Final verse of this passage. Let your conversation be always full of grace. That hasn't been true for me. My conversation it hasn't been full of grace. Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He says three things about our conversation to someone. Number one, it should be done in grace. Not a yelling match, not an argument. It should be done in Grace. Again, for someone who hasn't been to the cross, okay, they haven't had time to allow the Holy Spirit to work in them. Don't, don't be the Holy Spirit for somebody else. Uh, it should be done at a moment's notice. You should be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. He says, always, always be ready to have an answer for someone. And then he says, seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. I love Scripture because Scripture's. There's so many word pictures going on in Scripture. God calls us, there's a time in the Bible, God calls us clay. He talks about, he molds us like a potter, and he shapes us. And, and another time, he calls us sheep, because we're not very bright. So he refers to us as sheep. Another time, he talks about us as light, the light of the world. But 30 times in the Bible, he calls us salt. What's that all about? What does salt mean? So salt in Scripture oftentimes is a remedy for, for a situation. Uh, it, it was oftentimes a form of payment. Even in even in our society in the past, that was have you ever heard the phrase not worth his salt? Right, that's a type of it's where we get the word salary, same root word, salt. Salary. Alright? So throughout scripture, we talk about salt. I'm gonna carry this illustration a little bit further. So if you if you'll look um, at Matthew five Thirteen. So turn to Matthew 5. That page number is 683. 683, 513. One verse, right? We're going to look at one verse. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. He's talking to those who've chosen to follow him, his disciples. He says, You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men the next verse, he talks about light. So let me just give you a quick, quick illustration between salt and light. Sometimes we use this word, we're supposed to be salt and light. Yeah, we are, but they're two different things. Light has more to do with something that you do. It's a city on a hill. People are looking at it. Oh, they did that, and so we're gonna recognize it. It's visible, okay? It's, it's visible. Everybody can see it. It's kind of big. Salt is an invisible quality. It has more to do with our character who we are, not what we do, who we are, to so be she says you're the salt of the earth, so what are some characteristics of salt? Uh, it preserves salt preserves so when a farmer kill the cattle or kill the animal, they take the salt rubbing, rub it into the meat before they had refrigerators, they use salt to to preserve the meat to make sure it doesn't Have you ever heard somebody say, boy, our society is just falling apart? I remember 50 years ago, culture was good, boy, but nowadays, and I would say to you, we're not doing our job preserving society, preserving the culture. Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. So let's not blame society. Let's look inward. That's That's an issue with us. We are not being salty. Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. What's another characteristic of salt? It's the season. It's the... It's to make a situation better, that meeting that you're in tomorrow is going to be better because you're in it. You're salt in that meeting, okay? That company is better. That school is better. That sports team is better because you're bringing out the God flavors, okay? Because you're there, you don't even have to do anything. Just because you're there, you're seasoning, you're preserving with me here? That's what Jesus says. He makes it really clear. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't become so relevant that you compromise your convictions and character because then you're worthless. He says then it's just like you're being trampled on and you're thrown in the garbage. Then you're no good. You're worthless in that environment. So It's really careful there's a thin line. Look for opportunities to be with those of you can be salty. You bring out the God flavor. Your neighborhood, your street corner where you live should be, should, should be a little bit better, should taste a little bit better to someone who's watching you because you're salt. Are you getting it? So how, where does this lead? How do we create that thirst? How do we create that thirst for your neighbor to say, oh, I've gotten a lot of salt. I'm, I'm thirsty. We got it. Jesus says, uh, Jesus says, in, uh, in John 14 he says, "He who drinks from me will never drink again." Salt leads to thirst. Are you with me? Jesus says, "If you drink from me, you will never thirst again. Our role is to be salt. and it's not to make more salt. Salt doesn't reproduce, as far as I know. Um, salt isn't uh, sometimes this is what we think of, of church. This is our concept of church right here for a lot of us. We think we all need to just stay together. Let's just all come together and have a good time. Let's build a big building. Let's start our own program. Let's start a political movement. Let's just all come together and we'll be a big block of salt. I've been guilty of that. Um, This thing here, it's heavy. It's heavy. Isn't preserving anything. It's sitting here, really heavy, uh, heavier than you think. Um, this thing isn't seasoning anything, unless you want to come up and look it. And you know what? Sometimes we do. We drop it. We just pick. This is us. This is the church. Just boom. We nail somebody. Where'd that come from? What? That didn't really make any sense. What you just did. And so. You, are you with me? This is what we think of church. this is well we 're salt, so we 're all here and and uh you know what so Jesus, I think the picture that Jesus is trying to to share with his disciples is more one of this that 's not preserving anything that 's not seizing anything. He wants us to shake see salt leads to thirst when it 's shaken, not when it 's dropped. Salt leads to thirst when it's shaken and not dropped. So here's, here's a salt shaker. All right? We're not even supposed to stay in the, in the bottle, but we're supposed to, this is us. This is the church. This is Door Creek Church, all over Madison. All right? Salt leads to thirst when it's shaken All right, not dropped. It's hard to see, isn't it? So maybe in the back where right? you can't, can't even see it. So that's not the point. You're not supposed to see it. Alright, so it's a season and flavor where you are. Not come all together and we you this is Alright, so on your school campus. Whatever role, profession that you have. It's a season. Alright, this is the church. Door Creek Church. Right, shaken. It only creates thirst when we're shaken, not dropped. Okay? So what are some what are some illustrations of this? You may think, okay, so give me some examples. C.S. Lewis wrote Narnia, not to a Christian audience. He wrote it to a general audience. J.R.R. R. Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings, not to a Christian audience, to a general audience. They were so salty in what they said that people on the outside didn't know it wasn't for them. They were very wise, they were salty, discerning in how they wrote. A modern day example is John Grisham the most successful authors of our time. You probably didn't know that. He's a Baptist. That he's a lawyer. That he's a, he coaches Little League Baseball. He's a husband. He's a father. And he writes in such a way more effective than any preacher I've ever heard share the gospel. Why? Because he does it without jargon, religious jargon. He does it without sentiment. He does it without manipulation. Have you read the Testament? There's a beautiful picture of redemption in that story. So it means we're salty. Have you heard of some Russian authors that in a time where a lot of religious authors were being banned by the communists, they were so salty that the, Russian, the communists forgot to ban them. So Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Pushkin, they wrote in a very salty manner. I'll give you some more examples. So Hollywood right now. Hollywood doesn't have a very good image of Christians. Right? At best, they think we're dull-witted and out of touch. That's right? why the, when a Christians is characterized on a TV show or Hollywood, it's not very good. It's not their fault. They don't know any Christians. That's not Hollywood's fault. It's easy. Oh, Hollywood's out to get us. They just don't know any Christians. It's because they're there and we're here. Are you with me? There are now, what's really cool is I think the ties are starting to change. There's 70 to 80 Christian directors and executives in Hollywood. Or being salt, and you're starting to see that a little bit. You're starting to see that. Instead of going to make our own movies and write our own books for our own audience, maybe God's saying, Jesus says, is onto something here. He says, be salt. Be salt where you are, where He's placed you. I remember a, a young lady right after she graduated high school came to me, and uh, her name was Lenora, and Lenora was extremely bright, and uh, she just came back from a youth trip, and she said. Kyle, I feel like God's calling me into missions. So that's great. Let, let, I'll pray with you over that. And we'll wrestle through that a little bit and we read some scripture. But she was headed to school to be a molecular biologist. And I said, Lenora, maybe your mission field is to be a molecular biologist. Maybe you need to be on the university. That's where God has you. And kind of a light went off, like, you really think so? Wow. And it, it, that's what she's doing right now. And... Now, now some of us are called to the mission field, and that's great. Maybe you need to be where God has you to be salt. All right, this isn't this isn't His image of salt. This is ours. We've kind of created this. I'm just going to be here. I can do a lot of the only, the only thing this thing can do is cause damage. Throw it on somebody, drop it. it. It's not a good. The it's not good. This is what He's talking about. Be salt. Okay. How do you create a thirst? Salt leads to thirst when it's shaken and not dropped. Salt leads to thirst. It's shaken and not dropped. Let's pray. God, this issue of intolerance is one which we need to say we need there needs to be a time of confession as a church. I know personally you Say I haven't handled every situation the right way with grace. Father, we're sorry for living out of fear and living that like we, we're going to be unclean if we come in contact with someone. And we're sorry for that. It's not what you intended. And so, God, I pray that we would make the main thing the main thing. Help us to be shaken out all across Madison, our different roles and different jobs and workplaces and our relationships, may we bring out the God flavor of you. May we point people to to the water, to to your everlasting water where, where we'll never thirst again. In Jesus' name we pray.